Thank you, uh, Mosaic, for inviting me. For um, Dennis, I call him my number one cheerleader. <laughs> um, but I want to thank um, Pastor Dave and Pastor Doug as well for inviting me here. Um, so definitely I want to celebrate Mother's Day with all you guys. I recognize some people here. Um, hi. <laughs> but um, um, I wanted to celebrate Mother's Day with you um, by saying... To all the moms, you're doing a great job. I say that because you made it here this morning. <laughs> um, and I know with four kids, four young kids, it was like war trying to get them <laughs> dressed and fed and fill the diaper bag and uh, pack their snacks and everything. Um, so you made it. You're doing a good job. Um, but I also know um, for others, today's a painful holiday because you might have lost your mother or, as Pastor David said, you might have lost your children or you, you're having a difficult time conceiving children. And so um, we acknowledge you too because you know what? God is gracious and he walks with us in our celebrations and in our pain as well. And so... Um, I want to just wish you a happy Mother's Day. So let's pray as we get started. Lord, we just come and we thank you for today. We thank you for the gift that it is to have a community to worship together with. And we just pray this morning that our hearts would be open to you, that we would um, be teachable, and that, God, we would, um, we would just take another step closer to you. We thank you so much. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. So just to introduce myself a little bit more, me and my husband, one Jay, were those crazy parents that had four kids in five years. <laughs> My oldest, um, between one and two, um, are 18 months apart. Between two and three, another 18 months. And then the last third and fourth, we finally got to two years. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so five, four kids in five years. I have two boys on top, two girls on bottom. And, um, but they're older now. So um, don't feel bad for me. In the beginning, it was hard, but now it's so much fun. It's so much fun. They're great friends. They get along really well. And so, um, but I call those early years in the beginning, I call them my angry years. <laughs> because I was so sleep deprived, so um, isolated. And when I think about it now, most likely suffering from a little bit of postpartum with my fourth. And so um, my poor husband, one Jay, he's also a pastor. We met at Gordon-Conwell um, Seminary up in Boston. But um, he really tried. <laughs> um, but he was busy. He was a full-time youth pastor at the time. And um, it was just craziness. And um, I just remember, I didn't know what day of the week it was sometimes. All I knew was if it was Sunday or not. And so on Sundays, I would have to get them ready. I would dread coming to church. And I was like the pastor's wife. It was like awful. But, um, but we made it through. So <laughs> praise the Lord. But um, 
It all came to a head when my youngest, she was maybe 15 months, Nora, my friend from college was getting married up in Boston. And it was so strange because when I think about it now, it's not like we were so close, like I'm definitely going to go to your wedding. It wasn't anything like that. Um, but for some reason, I, I like had it fixated in my mind. I needed to go to his wedding. And I think it's because like it, I knew my old college pastor would be there and I knew my old Bible study leader would be there. And so in my mind, I wanted to go because I just wanted to be ministered to. I thought, hey, they're going to say something profound and they're going to fix me. <laughs> and so um, miraculously, my husband said, okay, you can go. Um, it was, I remember it was a Friday night wedding. And so, um, but I was going to drive up. Uh, we lived in New Jersey at the time. I was going to drive up four hours that day, go to the wedding, and then drive back all in one day. But my husband said to me, you can go, but you have to take Nora with you. <laughs> She's 15 months at the time. He's like, I will find a babysitter for the three older kids, but you have to take Nora. And so I was like, fine, fine, I'll, I'll do it. Because in my mind, I'm like, I, I need to go to this wedding for some reason, right? So I drive up there. It's like a typical wedding. It's beautiful. I'm celebrating with my friend. And we're even sitting, I'm even sitting at the table with my old college pastor and my old Bible study leader. And I'm like, waiting. Waiting for them to say something profound. Waiting for them to fix me, minister to me. But you know what happened? Nothing. We just had a normal conversation. It was just like, hey, how's it going? Oh, it's really hard with the kids, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's really hard. And, you know, they're playing with Nora. She's like a toddler, so she's running around. Um, but nothing happened. I was so disappointed. So we got back in the car. Thank goodness she fell asleep. But um, I'm one of those weird people who I don't even listen to music when I drive. I know that's really weird. But um, four hours um, driving back, I, I usually use that time to pray. And so, um, but this wasn't like prayer time. I call it my two hours of verbal vomit to God. I was so angry. I was like yelling. I was like cursing, I was like um, beep, beep, you know, beep, beep, beep to God. I was um, like generally, I was woe is me to God for two hours straight. Um, and then I just remember I ended the rant with God was like, God, it's not fair. It's not fair because I am the maid, the cook, the taxi driver, um, and my husband gets to go do ministry. How come he gets to go live out his calling, but I'm stuck here at home? And so I was like, God, you know, I, I remember ending like that two hours after all the complaining. And then, you know, because it's late at night, it's just, was quiet. My daughter was sleeping. The traffic had cleared up because it was so late. And um, I just remember God's presence just came into the car. And he said to me, 
I still remember because it so, was so impactful. He said to me, Lisa, why do you think you're not doing ministry? Aren't you called to make disciples of all nations? And I was like, yes, God, I know I am. But I, I'm, all I see are little kids, and two of them don't even talk yet. <laughs> like, they barely talk. What kind of, you know, discipleship am I doing? And he just reminded me, Lisa, your first and foremost ministry is to disciple your children. And for me, that was such a paradigm shift. Um, and I will call it my, <laughs> my shift from my season of anger <laughs> to my season of purpose. Right? And so I want to read the passage to you this morning. Today, the passage comes from Matthew 20, verses 20 through 28. And it reads, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other to your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." So like I said, I think what, sorry, so like I said, when I had that paradigm shift and it helped me pivot out of that season into a season of purpose, I think one of the things God really showed me and especially as we see in this passage, we need to redirect our ambition and make sure it aligns with how God and his kingdom values. Just for a little context, remember James and John are the disciples that Jesus called first, along with Peter and Andrew. The four of them were fishermen. And remember how Jesus said, come and now become fishers of men. Remember that story? Um, and so James and John, along with Peter, if you recall, 
were part of Jesus' inner circle. They got to spend the most time with Jesus. They're the ones that had the greatest intimacy, most likely with Jesus, and they got to see more of his inner thoughts. Because why? Because they spent the most time with him. Historically speaking, though we don't know exactly how old the disciples were, it's believed that all of Jesus' disciples were actually, surprisingly enough, between the ages of 15 and 20 years old. You know, sometimes in our, in our minds we see like the Jesus movie or like, you know, that miniseries, The Chosen, and it's like middle-aged men following Jesus. But actu- in actuality, in the Jewish tradition... Um, the Jewish boys finished their formal education at 15 years old. And if they showed promise, then at 15 they would go, and if a rabbi um, wanted them under him, they would become a disciple and study more under a rabbi. But if they didn't show, you know, that much promise in that religious area, then they would then go under uh, an apprenticeship and most likely with their fathers. And that's why you see here when Jesus is calling James and John, they left their father and went to follow Jesus. Um, In the same way, Jesus, following Jewish tradition, most rabbis started their ministry at 30 years old. And so that's the age we find Jesus when he's starting his ministry as well. And so it makes sense that younger men are called to follow him, right? And also back then, the boys usually got married around at 18 years of age. And so in the Bible, we, uh, most scholars think that Peter was actually the only one who was married because in Luke 4, we see Jesus healing his mother-in-law. And in the Bible, there's no other mention of any of the other disciples' wives. Um, and then the last one is in Matthew 17, um, the disciples are asked to pay a temple tax. And from the Old Testament, we know anyone over 20 needed to pay this tax. But even though all the disciples are with Jesus, Jesus tells Peter, you go for just pay for me and you, <laughs> only two of them. And so that's why they think the disciples were probably between the ages of 15 and 20. It's basically youth ministry, right? Um, Wow, blows your mind, right? Um, And so we see here that actually um, further on in the Bible, John is the one who wrote the book of Revelation. And that book is thought to have been written in 96 A.D., And if Jesus died and rose again around 30 to 36 AD, that would make, and if John was like a middle-aged man at the time, it would make him over 100 years old. So it makes more sense that he was most likely a teenager, and then, uh, which would have made him around 80 when he wrote, um, around 80 to early 80s to mid 80s, when he wrote the book of Revelation. So using that logic, we see here the mother making a request on their behalf. If they were older, 
most likely their mother would not have intervened. I don't know about you guys, but like I said, my two boys are 21 and, um, and almost 19. I don't make many requests for them anymore, and I hope I'm not making much for them when they're like 30. So um, most likely these disciples were on the younger side. We see from the passage here, and I feel like most moms can relate, John and James' mother is making a request. She just wants the best for her sons. She asked Jesus, verse 21, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit on your right and the other one to the left of your kingdom. At this point, we come up against the danger that all parents face. It's easy to want our children to fulfill our dreams and not God's. Often we try to force our children into the mold, right, that we want for them instead of facing the truth that your desires and God's desires sometimes don't match up. And so that's why we must learn to realign your priorities. Realign them to make sure they're following after God's and kingdom values. Was it wrong that James and John's mother wanted something that's best for them? In fact, she was very humble when she came to ask because the passage says she knelt down. And she was even full of faith, right? Because she acknowledged that Jesus was going to rule over a kingdom. But what's the problem here? Because I always remember my mom praying for me. I felt like this was a thing back then. Um, Deuteronomy 28:13. She would always pray for me this verse. Um, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God, I will, of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. And so I remember my mom, sometimes I would be sleeping and kind of awake and hear her always say over me in Korean, help her be the head and not the tail, help her be the head and not the tail, right? Um, but the context here we see in De Deuteronomy is that God is showing that um, he has set the Israelites apart for himself. And he's saying, if you obey me, then I will show other nations what it means to be my people. Yet here the mother is simply saying, I want my sons to be more powerful and have more authority than anyone else. Kingdom value has nothing to do with her request. It's really ironic, especially because if you see the context of this passage, right before this, you see that Jesus actually is predicting his death. He says straight out, look, I'm going to be mocked, I'm going to be flogged, and I'm going to be crucified. Basically, I'm going to die. And then his mother comes along right after and says, yeah, 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 
can you make sure my two kids are rolling right beside you? It's like the most opportunistic moment, right, for her. And it's basically the understanding, hey, I have to realign myself to kingdom values. In my own parenting journey, I have struggled with this issue for my kids over and over and over again. Um, Really checking if my agenda for my children are the same as God's agenda for them. Um, And probably the biggest uh, hurdle we had to face was when my oldest son Um, when he was applying for college. He's, like I said, he's 21, so three years ago when he was was applying for college. Um, You know, me and my husband, Wonjay, we're not like um, crazy, you know, uh, we didn't stress academics that much. He did okay in school, but we didn't really expect him to go to Ivy League or anything, but he did okay. Honestly, in my mind, I was just like, he's probably just going to go to Rutgers, right? And I think his, in his mind, he thought that too, because um, he only applied to one place early, he didn't get in, and then he only applied to Rutgers. But you know what happened? He got waitlisted. And that was like, what? <laughs> um, because so many thoughts and lies started coming into my mind, like... What did I do wrong, God? <laughs> did I, I should have sent him to SAT prep class. I should have got him a tutor. I should have done this and that. And then the other thoughts come like, God, are you, did I do something wrong? Did I, are you punishing me? <laughs> um, and then the other prayers, God, you owe me. Me and my husband are pastors. We've been pastoring for a while. You owe me this, God. And I went through all those stages. And then the last was the, the shame, the shame. I need to tell my mom and sisters <laughs> that my son did not get into college. Um, and you know why the, the shame was so big? Because you know, my poor son, he's the oldest. He's the oldest on my side of the family and my husband's side of the family. And not only that, he's the oldest in our church. Me and my husband started, um, you know, with a group of other pastors, um, a church plant 11 years ago. And so my son was the oldest by far. And so I had to, in my mind, I was like, the shame of telling people he didn't get into college. I was going through this thing. And literally, I realized, why am I making it about me and not my son? Because my poor son had to go through that disappointment in himself not getting in, and the stress of having to tell us. But you know what happened is um, down the line, while he was on a mission trip that summer to Africa, our church goes to Ivory Coast, Africa, while he was on that mission trip, he basically decided, hey, I'm going to take a gap year. I'm going to take a gap year, and I'm going to apply to a discipleship school for one year. So he comes back from missions, and he tells us this. And to be honest, me and my husband, like I said, me and my husband are pastors. We are not happy with that decision. We're like, what? You're not going to wait for that decision to come? He's like, no, I'm just going to take this gap year. 
And so in my mind, I'm like, oh, I got to tell my sisters, I tell my mother, I got to tell my mother-in-law. And so um, we decide to have a dinner with my mother-in-law. We're going to tell her, hey, your oldest grandson made this decision. Um, and so I, I still remember where we decided to meet up at the Soup Dumpling Plus. <laughs> and um, she's waiting there. And we're about to tell her, hey, your son's not going, to, your grandson's not going to college. But instead, she kind of interjects and was like, I had this dream. And so we're glad. I had this dream that my oldest son's name is Tyler. I had this dream Tyler was packing his bags and the rest of us were like so happy for him and blessing him and sending him off. And then she turned to us and was like, is he going anywhere? And I was like, like, my chin was to the ground and, and we said, actually, this is what he decided. And she said, she said, I think this is God's timing for him. Let's bless him as he goes. And I just felt all that shame and all those lies just break off. And so I was so thankful. But literally, I had to learn, hey, God's timing. Sometimes it's not the same as my timing. And then he went away. It was such a great time for him. He grew so much. And then next year he applied, and he's at Rutgers now. Right? And so, yes, it's kind of crazy because definitely for me, it's, um, it was a hard lesson to learn. It was really hard, to be honest. But I knew that that was just one of many instances where I just had to let go. Right? And so, yes, <laughs> the second I wanted to talk about is if we want to grow in discipling our children, we have to redefine what it means to be great. So let's look again at verses 25 through 27 in the passage today. It says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. If you recall, James and John were actually referred to as the Sons of Thunder. That was Jesus' nickname for them. <laughs> they were, that meant they were probably really bold, really aggressive, like their personality was just loud and like out there. And if you remember, um, they're the disciples that said to Jesus, they came upon the Samaritan town that kind of rejected them, and they actually said to Jesus, Jesus, send down fire and destroy this town. That was James and John, right? So... Um, but how did they go from that to sons of thunder to actually, historically speaking, James was actually the first disciple to be martyred. He's the first one after Judas to pass away. We see in Acts 12, 1 to 2, it says, about, that time, about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute him. 
he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Most historians believe this took place around 14 years after Jesus passed away and rose again to heaven. And that most likely meant that Herod was targeting the leaders of this new movement, right? And so he targeted James specifically to get rid of the leader. And so if we truly believe that he was in his teens when he started following Jesus, then that would make him only about 30 to 35 years old when he passed away. And it's interesting because James and John, they're the bookends of the disciples, because James passed away first, but actually John is the only disciple believed not to is the only disciple to believe to have died from natural causes. He was definitely persecuted and then banished to this island called Patmos, and he actually wrote the book of Revelations, like I mentioned. He became the author of five books, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then Revelation, which makes him the most... the. He wrote most of the New Testament aside from Paul. And then John also, if you see, even from his writings, he never refers to himself as John in his writings. He actually refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so John was actually the one that Jesus at the cross when he's dying, he turned to John and said, take care of my mother. That's who John was to Jesus. And so the Sons of Thunder version of James and John, calling brimstone and fire down on the Samaritan town, um, was a textbook example, right, of lording over someone. You don't do what, I'm, what I say, so I'm going to punish you, right? They wanted to be first. They wanted to rule, Yet being with Jesus taught them the true definition of greatness. They had to redefine and adjust their understanding of it. Because you see, the word used in Greek from verse 27, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. That word slave in Greek is actually doulos. And the definition of doulos is someone who belongs to another or someone who gives himself wholly to another's will. Greatness comes not from trying to wrestle more control from other people, including our kids, trying to control them. That's not greatness. But rather, greatness comes from surrendering our control to Jesus. So do you know what that means? It means trusting God enough to let your children fail sometimes. It's trusting God enough to allow them to face hardship. Because you know what Jesus said? He said, can you drink from this cup? And that cup meant the cup of suffering. I was reading this article a couple years ago and it really caught my attention because in that article, it wasn't a typical article about school bullying. 
um, because a lot of times you see in parenting magazines, you know, make sure your kids don't bully, make sure, um, or what to do if your kids are bullied, but it was a slightly different angle because in the, in the article, it talked about um, one student in high school really getting bullied. He was socially awkward. He always sat by himself at lunch. But in the article, it talked about another kid, second kid, who came and decided to sit with that child at lunch. And so because of that, the result was that second child started getting bullied as well. But actually what the article asked was how was that second child parented? That he was able to put his love in action. To be able to withstand the bullying of high school, it's hard. But to be able to withstand that, to go and approach that first child. And the article asked, what was different about that parenting? And so we think our jobs as parents is that as long as my kid doesn't cause trouble, as long as my kid isn't the bully, our job is done. But actually, that's not true. Because Jesus always talks about greatness through the action of love. He came to serve. And he wasn't afraid to shuffle suffer while showing his love in action, his ultimate act of love by going to the cross. He gave his life as a ransom for many. And what does ransom mean? It means payment. He paid on the cross with his blood. And so we need to not just realign our priorities with kingdom values, but we also need to make sure we are redefining our definition of greatness. And the third thing I want to remind us this morning is to remember to invest in prayer. Mark Batterson, in his book, Praying Circles Around Your Children, I recommend this book to all parents. It is the shortest, easiest book to read. It's tiny, <laughs> but... It's so packed with meaningful, convicting things. In his book, he, he writes, I'll read the quote for you. You'll never be a perfect parent, but you can be a praying parent. Prayer is your highest privilege as a parent. There is nothing you can do that will have a higher return in investment. In fact, the dividends are eternal. Prayer turns ordinary parents into prophets who shape the destinies of their children, grandchildren, and every generation that follows. James and John's mother, she got on her knees and she requested a favor from Jesus. It might have been misdirected, but guess what? She asked. It was through the asking that Jesus was able to correct her. And isn't that what, part, what prayer is sometimes? We need God's correction and direction. And God has given us this amazing tool to partner with him 
in raising our children. Spending time with God, communicating um, with the one who knows and understands all things, and then making sure you align yourself with him daily. But many of us, when we hear this word prayer, it really intimidates us. We think we don't know how to pray or we don't have time to pray. But prayer is just talking to God. You can pray anytime, anywhere. I'll give you some examples. Pray when you're nursing. Pray when your kids get up at night and they just want mommy or daddy to come lay down beside them. Pray when you're doing the dishes or folding the laundry. Pray when you're in the shower. Pray during your commute to work. And my favorite place to pray, oh my Lord, because I had to do it so many times, in that pickup line when you're waiting for your kids to come out of school. (laughs) What do you do usually during those 15 minutes you're waiting? Sometimes some parents, some crazy parents, I see them in line like 30 minutes before and I'm like, dang. (laughs) I'm like, I'm going to be first today. And it's like, there's like five cars already there. But what are they doing? They're probably just on their phone. What are you doing? Use that time to pray. Anytime, anywhere. It's crazy because sometimes when I pray, God leads me to some amazing prayer strategies I really, really believe are opening doors for my kids in the future. Um, So I just start with, God, I know you love me, and I know you love, you know, my kids. I insert one kid's name, you know, Tyler, Micah, Eden, and Nora. I know you love them. What do you want me to pray for them today? I remember when my oldest son was in junior high, God led me to start praying for his college roommate. God led me to start praying for his future Bible study leader, his future discipler. Why? Because I knew that that leader had to be in a certain place spiritually in order to lead my son. And so I began praying for them. This past year, New Mercy went through a 40-day of prayer in 2021, so last year. And um, like I said, I'm 49 years old. My oldest is 21. But for the first time, I felt God leading me to start praying for my grandchildren. I've been praying for their spouse for a long time now. But for the first time, I was like, God, grandchildren? That's a little, you know, far. But I just felt him leading me to start praying, hey, praying that my, kid, my, my kids and their spouse would really develop a spiritual atmosphere in their household so they can disciple their own children well. And so it's so important, um, especially as I think about we're um, about to send our third to college. She's a senior. Um, I just feel like there's so many things we could pray about. But all those things are investments. You may not even see the result of that prayer, and many of those prayers might be redirected into something else. But all those things are investments. And so to conclude, I want you parents to think, 
How many times have I tried to control or manipulate my children to get the behavior that I want from them, right? We use threats. We use corporal punishment. Or if you're on the other camp, we use positive reinforcement, right? Um, but did you know that's all surface-level behavior modification, basically? In my mind, I used to just think, just please don't act up in church. Don't hit that kid in church. Don't, you know, cause trouble at church. In my mind, that's all. I was like so fixated on that. But at the end of the day, it doesn't work. Why? Because the true definition of the discipleship is reaching the heart. That's what prayer is. Asking God's presence to come so that your child can have true encounters with the Lord. Yes, the disciples learned from seeing how Jesus acted, from seeing the things he did, but you know what changed them the most? It's by spending time with him. His presence is what changed them the most. And I think that's what changed me the most when I talk about my paradigm shift and my encounter with the Lord. The biggest change in me was I, was, I determined to be more present with my children. You see, I was so like, I, in my mind, if my kids were fed, if... Um, nothing was broken in the house, and there was no blood on them, then it was a good day <laughs> in my mind. But I was so emotionally, spiritually, just physically empty that I, I had nothing to give, and I knew something had to change. And so at the end of this, let's look at Matthew, actually 27, 54, 56, it takes place, just to put it in context, is Jesus, he dies on the cross, and in that narrative, it says the earth shook and the temple curtain was torn. And that's where we see this passage. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and they exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his kids. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. James and John's mother was there at the end. She remained a follower of Jesus. Moms, follow Jesus till the end. Just because you're in a tough season now, our children should never be the excuse. Oh, I want to do this more, but because of my kids, dot, dot, dot. You know, because if you do that, you are essentially making your children your idol. Don't do that to your kids. Instead, see them as the gifts God has given you and steward them well. 
In my life, I was blessed to have a mom that prays. I have, if you know my story, I had many, many issues with my mom. We had a hard relationship growing up. But I always knew she prayed for me. When I married my husband, she is a woman of prayer. My mom and mother-in-law, they pray for me and my kids. I know that. I also was blessed to have three spiritual moms, women who had determined to pray for me. I knew they were praying for me throughout my life and whatever issues that I had. And in the recent years, actually, in the last five years, three of my, those spiritual moms, they passed away. They were older women. And so all the more as they pass, I realized, hey, that baton has been passed to me. And so I need to pray more because now I only have my mom and mother-in-law left. But really, prayer is that investment, not just in your kids, but in yourself. And for many people in this congregation, you're, not, you're thinking to yourself, I'm not a mom. But you know what? You can support them. You can pray for them. For me, growing up, um, when my kids were young, we had so many people in our community offer to babysit. It was like the best thing in the world. That was, and my husband, like I said, he really tried. <laughs> Bless him. He really tried. And the best thing he ever did was, for me was watch the kids so I could work on my relationship with God. And so I say to you, moms, Stick with Jesus till the end. Follow him till the end. All the non-moms, help her. (laughs) Help her follow Jesus till the end. Because one thing I say at New Mercy, the moms are powerhouses. You might not see them that much. They're in the background, but they're praying. Be that mom that prays. And so, as I invite the prayer to, praise team up, I want to remind you, realign your priorities. Make sure they're kingdom values. Redefine what greatness means. Jesus came to serve. And lastly, remember to invest Remembering to pray is an investment in yourself and an investment in your children and your community. Let's pray together.